0: Welcome to episode 53 of Podcast Royal, where we discuss Andrew heading to court and being stripped of his HRH, Harry's fight for police protection, and the Queen's return to Sandringham to honor her father's death and her becoming Queen 70 years later. Plus, we've got royal expert Penny Jr. on the show to discuss Charles as King, all right here on episode 53. Welcome back to episode 53 of Podcast Royal. How are you, my friend, and how was your birthday?
1: Hey, thank you. I am doing great. I had a great birthday weekend. My sister was in town and took her to a couple of new places, and um, we ate lots of great local food, so um, it was really, really fun. Good. Well, Jessica
0: had a birthday this past weekend. And I get to see you tomorrow to celebrate it. So I'm very excited about that.
1: Me too. I am really looking forward to it. And um, our listeners know we like to get together regularly. So
0: it's such a blessing. Um, it really What is. are you into this week other than being a beautiful new
2: age?
1: <laughs> you know, I am I'm having a hard time trying to decide what I'm into this week. I feel like I say that a lot, but um, I'm into so much. Um, One thing I'm into, so I broke down and got an Apple Watch recently, Um, and it's been really fun. So I'm sure listeners probably, I feel like so many people have these, and I- really didn't know that I wanted one, honestly. Um, But it's super cool. I've been able to kind of keep up with activity levels every day. So um, it's got these cool little things where you can go in and set your workout and it'll track, you know, calories burned. It's also got a little reminder during the day, you know, when we work, we tend to get so focused in the work and it'll buzz and say, It's time for you to stand up and move around. Um, And so I'm loving the little reminders. I know they've got other versions out there. If you're not an Apple person, they've got, you know, the Fitbits. I think Amazon has a version too. Um, So there are lots of different options out there, but it's been really, really fun to kind of keep up with, um, with my workouts and remind myself when I need to get up and walk around during the day.
0: I need that because I'll catch myself, like it'll be hours and I'll just be sitting at my desk. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, now that I um, work in an office, I just, I don't move as much as I did. Like I don't get to go to my backyard like I did when I was working from home. And so I need, I need some kind of reminder like that to get up and like take a walk. Cause obviously I've got a lot of places I could walk to. We've got a huge building. I'm on the 12th floor for crying out loud, but Mm -hmm. I just, I'll get in, in the zone And then I'll like come back to reality and it's been three or four hours. And that's just, you know, that's too much time to be sedentary.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and that's what I like about it is, you know, your, your phone also, there's an app where it'll track steps, but you have to be carrying your phone. So, um, I like the watch because it's on you all day and you can check in and see how many steps you've gotten. So you can know, you know, if you need to get up and move around. So really kind of a fun little feature for anyone who, um, who's into tech gadgets. So what are you into?
0: Well, I am into this, if only I lived in Chicago or Los Angeles. So I would be the first in line if I lived in either of those places for photographer Anwar Hussein's exhibit, Princess Diana, Accredited Access, which takes 140 of Hussein's images of the late Princess of Wales from 1980 to her death in 1997, and displays them in a walkthrough documentary. Seriously, if you live in Chicago- in LA please go to this someone listeners and let us know how it is so it's in Chicago and LA right now New York City is up next and tickets are available at princessdianaexhibit.com I don't live close enough to any of those three places to make like if it were in Atlanta or New Orleans or Nashville I would make the trip but I just don't live close enough to any of those places to make it make sense. So listeners, please report back if you are in, um, it's currently in Chicago and LA, soon to be New York City. Uh, Again, princessdianaexhibit.com. So Anwar is the father of Samir Hussein, who is also a Royal photographer that I adore. So I would like to put it out in the universe to make this exhibits way down South. I will, like I said, I will drive to Atlanta. I will drive to New Orleans, Nashville, Anywhere I need to go to see this in person, because from what I've seen, it looks incredible.
1: Wow, that sounds really cool.
0: I know, it's just not close. I would drive to Charlotte. North, I would drive. I have a drive to Florida. There's many places I would drive. So just putting that out there in the universe. And also, I am raising a glass to... Princess Charlene of Monaco. Today is her 44th birthday. So happy birthday and all of our well wishes, your Royal Highness. 44.
1: Awesome.
0: Yes. And today is Tuesday, January 25th. So happy
1: birthday. I just have to say January is quite the Royal birthday month, isn't it? I the know, royal so, highness of the podcast i'm glad to be included in there with all the princesses
0: well i get to share a birthday month with harry so there's that
1: for what okay you worth. got that yeah pretty cool
0: <laughs> okay so we're gonna merge into uh the royal rundown and we've got two weeks worth of news to catch up on and big royal news tends to drop on Wednesdays, a fact I never knew until we hosted a podcast about royal news that comes out on Wednesdays. So Wednesday after or the same day rather that we released our last episode, we learned that Prince Andrew is headed to trial sometime between September and December of this year after Judge Lewis Kaplan refused to dismiss the sexual assault lawsuit, leveraged against him by Virginia Giuffre. Judge Kaplan of the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York, which I believe is the same uh, district that is in billions, which is, will be lost on anyone that doesn't watch that show on Showtime, but I love that show. He refused to cr- to grant Andrew's motion to dismiss, writing in the opinion, Ms. Jufree's complaint is neither unintelligible nor vague nor ambiguous. It alleges discrete incidents of sexual abuse in particular circumstances at three identifiable locations. It identifies to whom it attributes that sexual abuse. So as for Buckingham Palace, um, they originally said no comment about this, saying we would not comment on what is an ongoing legal matter, but then of course they released a statement that was pretty groundbreaking. So we'll talk about that in just a second, but I want to ask you what your thoughts are on Andrew headed to trial.
1: You know, I feel like we've heard a lot of people talk about this over the past week, of course, um, and and I I think I feel like I've heard a lot of different perspectives, different takes, um, but it seems like she is really pursuing this as a voice an example for other women who have been victims of, of abuse um, you know I think she's seems like she's trying to teach women not to be afraid to call out their abusers and hold them accountable um, a lot of people are claiming you know she doesn't really need Prince Andrew's money she's already financially well off I mean you know I don't know who wouldn't turn down a few extra million if they had the opportunity to win a lawsuit um, but it seems like she's going to stick to her guns and follow through on this and I think it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. Um, What are your thoughts?
0: Well I think you know I have more thoughts about the next segment we'll talk about but I think that obviously this should legitimize Jewry's claims right here as if they weren't legitimized already. In my mind, in my heart, they were already legitimate claims. But mm-hmm. the fact that a judge has agreed that this should go to trial, should any naysayers at this point should be null and void. I mean, there's grounds here. You don't just go to court without grounds. And so it will be very awkward and very interesting to see how this plays out. I, I wonder how this will work. Um, I, I can't imagine a world in which the the trial will be televised, um, but will we get daily snippets? How will press be allowed? How's this going to work? It is in the US. So, you know, there's.
1: Well, so, this is, you know, and, and this is with my limited legal knowledge, um, but, you know, it's different from the Ghislaine Maxwell trial because hers was actually a, like a criminal law this is a civil lawsuit. So I don't know. I don't know how that differs as far as people being able to go in the courtroom and provide updates. But we did see a lot of these like, what were they called like civil reporters with Ghislaine Maxwell, who were giving updates on Instagram every day. And that was really interesting to follow along um, with her trial. So I'm not sure if this one will be different. But essentially, it looks like, you know, he's not really up for jail time. But I guess he could be on the hook for some money. And who knows what else from, from her, whatever she demands.
0: So this is random, but you're going to laugh at this, Jessica, but I really follow it. I was way too young to be following this, but I did. So judge me if you will, but I really followed the OJ Simpson trial in the nineties.
1: I was like, I remember that too. I mean, I, I didn't follow it closely, but you know, we were young, but I still remember it pretty vividly.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was hard. It was, you know, everywhere. So it was hard to escape, but you know, Obviously he was, he had a criminal trial. He was found not guilty, but then he had a civil trial a couple of years later and he was found liable and was, uh, you know, remanded to pay X amount of millions of dollars that I don't think he's ever paid. The number 33 enters my mind. I don't think he's paid much, if any of that, but so that's yeah you're right there i mean there's a huge difference between a criminal trial which this is not and a civil trial which this is and so yeah he if found guilty he'll probably pay money he's not facing jail time but i don't know i just i don't know how that will work like if they if how much we will know how long it will take um it will be interesting to see it play out but obviously There is, um, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, and there's something here, and it's going to trial. So then the next day, Buckingham Palace released the following statement, saying, with the Queen's approval and agreement, the Duke of York's military affiliations and royal patronages have been returned to the Queen. The Duke of York will continue not to undertake any public duties and is defending this case as a private citizen, which I think is a very, you know, strong point to to realize that the Queen is not paying for this. He is paying for this on his own. Um, back to uh, back to well, the, the, that's the end of the statement. But he will likely retain his Duke of York title. I read, and, and he will keep his place as ninth in the line of succession. He will no longer be called His Royal Highness. So I think the Queen did the right thing. I think. It took her long enough, but she did the right thing. What do you think?
1: Yeah, of course. I think she did also. Um, I honestly imagine it was kind of a hard reality for her to face and something that she probably really wanted to pretend wasn't true. You know, I mean, sometimes ignorance feels like bliss. We know eventually if you don't address it, it's going to catch up with you. And I think she kind of got to that point where it was like, I really don't want this to be true. Um, I don't want this to be a reality, but I've got to deal with it. And I imagine Prince Charles and Prince William really both pushed for this. I, I sort of, you know, I can see Charles having a, a heart-to-heart conversation with her and really explaining, um, you know, why it's so important to, to come out with a statement like this. I feel like she walks a very tough line here between being a mom and a monarch. And, um, you know, I, I think it was, it was difficult to do, but I think it was something she had to do. And I think she made the right choice.
0: Yeah, I do too. And I think, you know, kind of like with all of us, you can't deny that there's a there there, if that makes any sense. There's something there when a judge takes it to trial especially Mm -hmm. when there's a motion to dismiss so she can't deny anymore that this is going to happen he is going to trial and to wait any longer especially as we get into february and her 70 year anniversary on the throne and then the platinum jubilee this summer you know this year really is supposed to be her year and i think she had to make that swift decision to end Andrew's royal career officially so that hopefully she can get some joy out of 2022 before the case ultimately does go to trial later this year.
1: Well, so let me ask you this. If for some reason, you know, he he goes to trial and let's say he loses on his case, do you think that she should also strip him of his Duke of York title or that she would? And do you think he would be removed from the line of succession? Or do you think that will all remain in place?
0: That's a fantastic question. And gosh, I haven't thought about that. That's such a good question. Um, I say, yes, take it all away. Uh, take take him out of the line of succession. He's never going to be king. Mm-hmm. But Take his title away. He's already taken the HRH is already gone. The patronages are gone. The military um, affiliations are gone. Yeah, I, I'll say yes, if he is found guilty, take it all away. Take yeah, it so all-
1: that's that's another interesting kind of aspect to all of this where uh it, it's the difference between a criminal case and a, a civil case, you know. I certainly think if it was a criminal trial and he was found guilty, I would be shocked if they didn't, um, you know, remove him from the line of succession and and strip him of that Duke of York title with it being a civil case. I honestly don't know. I don't know what they'll do or how they'll handle it, you know, based on the outcome of the case. I think that will also be interesting to see.
0: Well, here's the thing. They can't ever take away his Prince title. That's a birthright. Okay. Like you can't that he will always be Prince Andrew, but you can take away the Duke of York title. Um and it's and you know it makes me sad because I was I can't remember who I was speaking to about this, but the Duke of York title in particular, that was her father's title. And that is a title that means so much to the queen. And so to have it marred because the Duke of York, we've known Andrew as the Duke of York for 30 Five, almost 36 years and i know that because he was named duke of york in 1986 when he got married and that's the year i was born so as old as i am that's how long andrew has been duke of york and now the title that her father you know worked so diligently as duke of york it has been marred so much by andrew and these scandals and You know, we've heard it said many times. And in fact, I think in our interview with Penny Junior in a little bit, she'll say it herself that Andrew was the favorite son. And now for it to turn out like this, I mean, I'm not a parent yet, but it's got to be devastating. But also you said it, she's got to walk that line between being a mother and a monarch. And as a monarch, if he is found guilty, and yes, it is a civil case. It's not a criminal case, but guilty is guilty in this situation. And I think it should go.
1: Yeah, but, but I hadn't definitely-
0: thought about that yet. So, <laughs> God, this is so awkward. So <laughs> spe- speaking of Andrew, I have a What the Royal for you. We haven't done one of those in a while, but this one is uh, markedly not funny. So Andrew's <laughs> former maid told the son that she was forced to spend, this is so bizarre, spend an hour every day arranging his collection of 72 teddy bears from around the world many of them dressed in sailor outfits on his bed and around his room an hour every day like come on um I could think of many other things that one could do with their time for an hour every day so Charlotte Briggs worked at Buckingham Palace in the 1990s and said as soon as I got the job I was told about the teddies (laughs) This is just, this is this, I'm reading this and I feel like I'm living someone else's life. Like, what is this? And um, back to her. And it was drilled into me how he wanted them. I even had a day's training. Can you imagine going to a day long training on how to arrange Prince Andrew's teddy bears? But anyway, everything had to be just right. It was so peculiar. So Charlotte would daily arrange the teddy bears again I can't even believe these words are coming out of my mouth so that the biggest teddy bears were in the back (laughs) then placed in order of size with the smallest at the front and at night she and another maid would (laughs) would use a diagram a literal diagram to place the teddy bears around the room properly so yeah like I've never said it before what the freaking royal like I would love to know your thoughts on this. That's a whole other level of creepy.
1: Well, I do think it's a little funny and obviously a little odd. I mean, it, it's okay. So here's my question. This was when he was married, right?
0: The nineties. He got, well, they were separated in 92 and divorced in 96,
1: but yeah. I mean, but, but I mean I, he was an adult. Like, oh yeah. It's a grown man. So I just, I, I, I that's, in, I don't know what to say about that. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know,
0: I don't, <laughs> I heard another story that I'm not going to say on the show today. That's much more explicit and much more graphic and sexual than that. And like, this just keeps getting, it keeps devolving into something weirder and weirder and weirder. And the wheels just keep falling off the station wagon i'm telling you and so i just God, what
1: Uh, a a week with andrew it makes you think you know i guess there are like nothing's off limits when it comes to what the royals can ask their maids to do right
0: (laughs) can you imagine your life as you look at you know you're in buckingham palace it's so fancy and you're looking at a diagram of teddy bears dressed as sailors from around the world and you're going, what is my life? Like what is, and I mean, talk about Andrew having obviously too much time on his hands to care about the, uh, just, okay. (laughs) God bless it. So anyway, can we move on from Andrew now? (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. So, okay. Prince Harry is seeking judicial review against a decision preventing him from personally funding police protection for himself and his family while at home in the UK. So this comes after Harry's security was compromised during his return to the UK in July for the Diana statue unveiling, where after leaving a charity event, his car was chased by paparazzi because of a lack of police protection. In a statement from a legal spos- spokesperson excuse me for Harry, it was explained that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex personally fund a private security team for their family, yet that security cannot replicate the necessary police protection needed while in the UK. In the absence of such protection, Prince Harry and his family are unable to return to his home. The goal for Prince Harry has been simple to ensure the safety of himself and his family while in the UK so his children can know his home country. The statement continued, with the lack of police protection comes too great a personal risk. Prince Harry hopes that his petition, after close to two years of pleas for security in the UK, will resolve this situation. So, okay, I have questions. So I don't understand why Harry can't pay for his own police protection I'd love to know your thoughts on this so this doesn't make yeah. a whole lot of sense to me
1: so I'm trying to make sure I understand this I saw these headlines come out last week and uh heard a little bit about it but I don't know that I have full clarity around the situation so um is he not able to have his own security from the U.S. travel with him to the U.K.
0: That, okay, that is what I don't understand because I'm rereading this line from the legal state, from the legal spokesperson. And it says, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex personally fund a private security team for their family, yet that security cannot replicate the necessary police protection needed while in the UK.
1: It sounds like what they're saying is they don't feel like their private security team um, is as equipped as what UK security could offer them basically, right? Like, like the security yeah. of the royal family would use. So, I mean, it so, I mean, again, like we're not in the UK. I don't understand all of the laws around this. I'm wondering if there's some kind of law in place preventing, you know, him from being able to access you know, like a true government police force. There, I, I don't know. It seems like there would be some type of private security he could purchase there, um, that wouldn't be like a a, a government police force. I, I'm not. I'm not really sure. Um, that's what it seems like to me. Like maybe he's asking to pay for the same type of security that the royal family has and maybe they're saying well you're not a citizen here you're not um you know part of the uh you know government you know whether that's a, a political figure or a royal or whatever anymore so you you can't use this security. I'm not sure. that That's what it sounds like to me, where, where I think there's the holdup. Now, you know, whether you agree with that or not, um, I don't know, but he's not residing in the UK anymore. I would imagine, you know, he probably isn't a tax paying citizen there anymore. I'm not, I'm not really sure if that matters, if he's willing to pay out of pocket for that. But, um, but I, I definitely this is something that I don't have a lot of understanding around. So I feel like it's really hard to comment.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's something that like a piece of the story that we're that we're missing. Because from where I sit, if he's offering to privately fund it, if he's offering to pay for it, I don't understand why that wouldn't be okay. But there I feel like there's something there that 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 we're not understanding. And um and, and I don't know why his security team isn't enough, but Mm-hmm. Obviously, I deeply want Harry and Megan and Archie
1: and Lily to be able to come back to the Well UK. I was going to say I I don't know for sure, but I'm taking this as an indication that maybe Megan and the kids will likely stay in the US during the platinum jubilee. Um I Honestly, at this point, I would be really surprised to see them over there. I know we've talked about it a lot, and we thought that might be the time they would come back. But I feel like this is another um, wrench in in those plans. So I don't know. What do you think?
0: Well, Lily's, birth- Lily's first birthday falls right in the middle of the Platinum Jubilee, which is the 2nd through the 5th of June. Her birthday is the 4th. So uh, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean anything. I mean, how fun would it be, actually, to have lilibet you know the queen and lily um celebrate together but i i mean if this isn't resolved it's not going to happen so hopefully there's some understanding that can that can come by the way you know how um (laughs) i've been called a sugar for uh (laughs) loving megan um i can say this because i'm addicted to wordle do you wordle yet
1: no I've been hearing a lot about it but oh I, I my don't gosh.
0: okay well I can say this because this episode doesn't come out until tomorrow today's wordle was sugar <laughs> and I laughed because I <laughs> i I've, I've I've been called a sugar because I defend Megan too much apparently whatever I also <laughs> I just say how I feel so if that's being a sugar then you know what it call me call me a sugar all you want but um I just I laughed today because and and listeners who wordle will appreciate that because today is Tuesday and the word was sugar and I got it in I think five or six I can't remember but you should start wordling by the way you'll get addicted to it so
1: yeah I'll have to I've been hearing so much about it I'll have to check it out
0: anyway okay so um here's so here's an instance where I'm not a sugar I think it's ridiculous that we don't have any more actual audio content apparently <laughs> Spotify is what i'm hearing but speaking of royal podcasting maybe this podcast will take off at a faster clip eugenie is launching a podcast with her friend julia de Bonville. i probably butchered that for her anti-slavery charity the anti-slavery collective which she launched in 2017 to combat modern slavery and trafficking in a monthly newsletter the two were pictured recording on a white couch with the message we were so excited to begin recording our long-awaited podcast this year due to be released in 2022 so stay tuned by the way it looks like they are at Frogmore, um, at Eugenie's house, which is Frogmore. So b- <laughs> big question. Do you think this podcast will drop more episodes than Archival Audio? So what I'm
1: saying is, do you think this podcast will have two episodes? <laughs> well, you know, that won't be difficult to do. And I do think if if this was um an opportunity for us to place a bet and win some money, I think I know which way I would go. Um but you know what I do think it's really interesting. Um, I think it's interesting that Princess Eugenie is hosting a podcast on trafficking, given her father's current situation. Uh, um, yeah,
0: understatement of the
1: year. Do you think that's strategic at all?
0: It's either strategic or it's really stupid. <laughs> like it's like either it's it's strategic or really not well thought
1: out. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I don't know. I had some thoughts on that. It'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of what they cover on this. But um, that that was what stuck out to me along with um, the R12 audio comment. Um, (laughs) I'll I'll bet they'll have more than one episode.
0: At what point if you're Spotify, are you like, hey, pay us back? Or I don't know if they've been paid. Right. Like, I don't I don't know the inner workings of the Sussex's bank account. But like, at what point if you're Spotify, are you like, okay, we've given you a year plus now? Like, I really well, had high hopes that there would be an episode around the one year mark of our last episode.
1: So I think, you know, I think given who they are, they definitely had the ability to go, Longer than most podcasters between episodes, um, and, and not really lose traction there. You know, people wouldn't lose interest. But after this long, I think people are just kind of over it. You know, I think it's like, I mean, if they come out with something at this point, do we even really care anymore?
0: Right, right. I uh, just that you know, look, we're podcasters. We're not. Um, we didn't sign a multi-million dollar deal with Spotify. Although if Spotify wants to change that, we'd happily oblige. <laughs> but like. We know the work it takes, and like you, just don't enter into something lightly for that much money and not produce. Like, it's just I, I'm conflicted because we hear all the time that Megan's such a workhorse; she's so demanding. But then, where's the product? You know, I don't know that. Yeah, i it, even it was clear about there wasn't
1: product. there wasn't a strategy in place there with that. I, I feel like you know i'm not sure how that went i'm sure the pitch sounded great but it's really fallen flat and um i you know i'd be curious to know what the conversations are over at spotify and kind of you know how they feel about that
0: well we're hating on megan um so is everybody else but people are profiting from this apparently so we have um more disturbing news from bot sentinel who released their third and final report finding that a network of YouTube channels focused on trashing the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, but especially Meghan, has over 497 million views and an estimated $3.48 million in total YouTube earnings. That's wow. Um, This third report focuses on how single-purpose hate accounts have turned targeted harassment and coordinated hate campaigns into a lucrative hate for profit enterprise three and a half million dollars how is that even possible to earn that much money on that's unbelievable
1: you know it's really crazy how people make so much money in these unethical ways you know and, and we've seen this on a lot of levels even outside of you know hate campaigns but you know there is this saying that comes to mind what is it? there there's no bad publicity. <laughs> I mean, do you think that's true? I, I would be curious to know what the Royals think about that, but, um, you know, as unfortunate as it is to have these hate campaigns out there, I sort of feel like they profit on both sides, right? Like your your publicity definitely goes up, whether it's for reasons you want or not.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's why you're able to get that kind of a, deal for right. example the harp on this some more because and you you do, you do elicit such a response from people whether they adore you or they can't stand you so but what like I don't ever want to be that person that is a millionaire because I have a hate account whether it's about Megan or right. Harry or anybody like that's money that I don't care to have and totally I just that's insane. And I mean, I guess obviously there's an audience because three and a half million dollars that's in, in, nearly 500 million views. That's really disturbing. And, um, wow. And, and the, and the companies that are paying for ads or however it works with YouTube that are funding this, like that are backing these people, you should really think about yourself too, you know, and what are you doing to contribute to the well-being of this world so so i just went in one fell swoop from ragging on megan to defending just i mean there's a you just megan or whoever you just don't do that to people these and these hate for profit campaigns are sick and it really really disturbs me so The royals are back at work after the holidays we've seen William and Kate a good bit, but I was especially touched by a recent appearance by Camilla at the annual Anne Frank lunch for Holocaust Memorial Day in London last week. She was joined by the 92 year old stepsister of Anne Frank, Eva Schloss, they lit candles in memory of Holocaust victims and marked the 75th anniversary of the publication of Anne Frank's diary. Camilla said in part, I first read Anne Frank's diary when I was in my teens. The freshness and vitality of her writing drew me into what I felt was friendship with her. But Anne's story is one of six million, six million stories that need to be told, heard, and remembered to honor those lives that were lost and to warn us of the consequences of extreme hatred. Let us not be bystanders to any kind of injustice or prejudice. Let us learn from those who bore witness to the horrors of the Holocaust and of all subsequent genocides and commit ourselves to keeping their stories alive so that each new generation will be ready to tackle hatred in any of its terrible forms. I appreciate Camilla tackling issues that are tough, like really tough. This isn't the first time she's done this. So any thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think it's really important not to erase history, you know, and keep those stories alive so we can bring awareness to, you know, persecution jews faced during the holocaust as well as other groups throughout history um i think maintaining that awareness is super important and uh what what is that other saying if you um forget history you're bound to repeat it um i i think that was really great of camilla to um you know to do that work and bring awareness to that event so good job
0: and we've got a royal tour to look forward to william is headed to Dubai on February 10th. It's his first official visit to the UAE. He, while there, will highlight Earthshot and United for Wildlife. And UAE, by the way, is on my top 10 travel list, Dubai and Abu Dhabi specifically. Yes,
1: I hear that it's a really cool place. Um, I am looking forward to photos from his trip. Um, And I was going to ask you, are you familiar with United for for Wildlife? I'm not, not, not,
0: major, not as much as Earthshot. we'll put it that way.
1: Yeah, I'm not either. Um, so we'll have to look into that organization a little more. I'm, I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. Uh,
0: by the way, quick aside, we learned this week via pronoun exchange by Kate that their new dog is a girl. So there's that information for those that may have been wondering. Still no name, though. And of course, Lupo is a boy. So it's a new new dog and a little girl. And I thought that was cute. So under normal circumstances, the queen would be at Sandringham right now already having spent the christmas season there she typically stays until february 6th to honor her father's death at sandringham and her becoming queen well we learned over the weekend that her majesty flew out to sandringham by helicopter on sunday where she will presumably stay until february 6th which also marks 70 years on the throne i think it's so good she gets to keep the tradition although i have to tell you the royals and helicopters are kind of freaking me out a little bit about after we talked about the cambridges in the helicopter the other week I'm not sure how I feel about this but um, I'm sure she's as safe as can be and she's out there marking tradition
1: yeah I agree um, I'm really glad she got to be there and I'm just really excited for this year for her
0: yeah I hope that you know we've put Andrew behind us for a moment at least until September and can focus from now um, or at least February 6th onwards on her because she deserves it uh 70 years february 6th that is amazing so let's move quickly into segment two royals around the world we have a couple of items from around the world so excuse me norway's princess martha louise opened up alongside former princess of luxembourg tessie tessie anthony de nassau on the zoom o'clock podcast recently talking about the death of her ex-husband and father of her three children, Ari Bain, by suicide on Christmas Day 2019. She said, in part, I think it's so important that whatever we go through as human beings, and we all go through so many different things, and sorrow is something we all have to meet at a certain point in life. Unfortunately, my kids met it at a very young age, but we all go through it at some point, and I think it's really important the lessons we all learn from that, that you can't go around it, you have to go through it. It's like having tunnel vision because it does cover everything. You can get stuck in that sorrow and you can go into a pit of depression, which I did. And you can get out of it as well. So I appreciate her ending on that moment of hope. And recent addition, some upsetting news out of Spain, Princess Christina, who is the younger sister of King Philippe, is separating from her husband, Inaki Erdogan, after 24 years of marriage and four children he was photographed holding hands with another woman. The couple said in a statement, by mutual agreement, we have decided to break off our marriage. Our commitment to our children remains intact. Since this is a private decision, we ask the utmost respect of all those around us. So thinking of of them during this time. So anything else before we go into this amazing interview with Penny Jr.
1: Yeah, I've got a fun little segment I'll add in here right at the end. So I'm calling this my fashion fave of the week. Um, I saw online that Queen Letizia of Spain was spotted out. So she actually attended the International Tourism Fair last week. Um, And she had a great awesome outfit on. Um, and apparently it really turned a lot of heads. So for any of our listeners wanting some fashion inspiration, um, she was rocking this like kind of a white ivory colored turtleneck sweater, black leather leggings, black tall pumps, and a black and white checkered knee length coat. And she looked great. It was quite the power outfit. Um, really, really fun. So I encourage listeners to go look up Queen Latisha's recent outfit. Um, I know we've talked a lot about skinny jeans, not being in style anymore, but apparently leather leggings are still in style. So um, let's keep rocking those, I guess.
0: (laughs) One of my favorites. She's so beautiful.
1: Yeah, she, yeah, she really is. So that's all I've got for me.
0: Love it. Well, as we quickly approach Her Majesty's 70-year anniversary on the throne, we want to keep her around for another 70 more, but someday, hopefully in the far distant future, Charles will be king. We spoke with his biographer and royal expert, Penny Jr. about what that might be
1: like. Here's our conversation. What an honor it is to have Penny Jr. on the show to chat with us about Charles as king. Penny is a legendary journalist and author, an expert on the royal family, and Charles in particular. She's been his biographer twice, in 1987 and 1998, and has also written about Princess Diana and the two as a couple. To round it out, she's also published biographies on William and Harry, so she's covered the gamut, and we are thrilled to speak with her today. Welcome to the show. Thank
2: you very much. Nice to be here.
0: Penny, Charles has been preparing for his role as king for over 73 years. If he's fortunate, he might get to do the job for maybe 30 years. I don't think for one moment he would abdicate the throne and pass it along to William, but the public sometimes goes through periods of outcry where they call for that. Do you think there's any chance that could possibly happen?
2: I think there's very, very, very little chance that it would happen. Constitutional monarchy, I mean, our monarchy is based on heredity. And if you, if you start deciding that you should abdicate for somebody else, then it lose, you lose the logic, I think, of, having, of keeping it within the family. You know, I think that it is, um, it's inconceivable, really, that he would, would pass it along. And he, as you say, he has been preparing for a very long time. You know, he will be the best prepared monarch that this country has ever had. The only only way, um, the, the only circumstance in which I could see um, a change to that is if at the time of the Queen's death, he was, for whatever reason, so unpopular that the public really didn't want him. But I think that is very, very, very unlikely.
1: I always find it so difficult that a monarch's life calling begins at the moment a parent's life ends. You know, Charles was understandably emotional losing his father this past year. And I just wonder, you know, how will he handle the emotions that will inevitably come when he's
2: thrust into this top job? Well, you know, I think, I mean, this is, this is a, a moment that he's been dreading all his life, really. Um, you know, because his achieving the top job, the job that he's been training for and preparing for all these years, does inevitably mean the death of his mother. And he loves his mother very dearly. So it's going to be a very bittersweet moment. And I think that, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure that he is pretty terrified about the whole, the whole prospect, you know, he's a very emotional man, a very sensitive man. He did take the death of his father very, uh, very badly. Well, I mean, he takes he takes any the death of any loved one um, to heart, and and I think it will be you know as devastating for him as it is for for anyone who loses a, a much loved mother.
0: i wondered this. Penny, do you believe his regnal name will be Charles III? Or will he, like his grandfather before him, go a different route and choose a different name?
2: Do you know, I think he will stick with Charles. I could be wrong, but I think that he is so well known. You know, he has been around for 73 years. Um, He has been Prince of Wales for, for much of that time. He's known around the world as Charles. And I think it would be very odd if at the age of 73 or four or five, or whenever the queen dies um, that, that he should change that name.
1: Charles has been saying for a long time that he plans to slow down the monarchy. And on this show, we've talked many times about, you know, our belief that a lot could change when he's on the throne. So from your research, how do you expect a monarchy under Charles' reign will look?
2: Um, I think it will be a slimmed down version of the monarchy. I mean, I think we, we saw the way it was headed at the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, when uh, uh, Prince, the, the Duke of Edinburgh, Prince Philip, was in hospital, so he wasn't on the balcony. But on the balcony, in the final sort of closing ceremony, there was um, the Queen, Charles, Camilla, William, Kate, and Harry. Meghan was not yet in the picture. But I think, you know, that that was the first time really that we had seen the balcony at Buckingham Palace without the hordes of of, of relatives that are usually there. You know, for all the other occasions, for weddings, for tripping the color, that balcony is is pretty full with people of all ages. There on that day, there would, as I say, just this, this core, central few people and those are the few people that I think the, the, definitely the Prince of Wales but I think the Queen was absolutely agreeing with him would be the future. So all the peripheral members would, would um, go, you know, go about their normal lives maybe do some charitable work. But you know, the, the real problem is that the monarchy is, is fundamentally very popular in Britain but there are rumblings just about every year, the media goes on about how much the monarchy costs us. And in real terms, it costs us very little per person, per year, but the, but the, the sum looked at, you know, overall is, is a huge amount of money. And they, the, the media will then be sort of, it, it arouses people's feelings and sentiments against the monarchy, it makes people think, why are these people paid so much? What are they doing for their money? Um, you know, it, it, this is this is outdated, and it's time we had something uh, something more in tune with with the times. Um, so I think that it's perception as much as anything else. I mean, the fact of the matter is that most of those members of the family do do very good work with um, in in charitable areas, and with a slimmed down monarchy it means that there will be fewer people to spread around the thousands of charities that rely upon the royal family for for, for income and for, uh, for profile.
0: One person we know will be there will be Camilla. How will she fit into the picture? Do you think she'll be a full queen consort despite her unpopularity in some circles even to the present day?
2: I think that Camilla will definitely be in the picture. I mean, she'll be very, loom very large in the picture. I think she is crucial to the Prince of Wales's happiness and, and his confidence. Um, he grew up a very unconfident man. He married a wife who didn't boost his confidence for all sorts of reasons, too numerous to go into here. Um, But, you know, we all know the marriage was not a success Um, and it was only when Camilla came into his life again after his marriage had broken down that he began to get some sort of sense of feeling of confidence, personal confidence, and that was inspired by Camilla because she supports him in a way that nobody else ever has done um, with the possible exception of his grandmother. Um, Camilla is hugely important to Charles and to the success of Charles, um, both as a Prince of Wales and I'm sure as King. Um, I have a suspicion that she will be called Queen um, because, I mean, I think Charles would find it very humiliating for her to call her anything else. He is hugely proud of her, hugely grateful to her for all that she sacrificed to be with him. And so I think that although Clarence House has always protested and said that no, no, she will be Princess Consort, I think actually come the day she will be Queen. And I think that we saw the Queen herself condoning that in, a, in an unspoken way just a couple of weeks ago when she made her a member of the, of the Garter. Um, that was the highest level of honor that she could have bestowed on uh, on Camilla, and I think it's an indica- It was a, a, a gratitude for her for her hard work, for her um, for her discretion, for her loyalty, and and I think recognizing that she's a very very valuable member of the family.
1: So. There was some buzz about Prince Edward not being named Duke of Edinburgh when Charles becomes King what do you think of this given it was understood a few decades ago even that the future of the title was in Edward's hands
2: I frankly am at a loss to understand why why um, Charles didn't let uh, Edward become Duke of Edinburgh. Um, it, it was something that Edward was expecting, and as you quite rightly say, you know, I believe that the Duke of Edinburgh told him the title would be his long, long ago. Um, I, I don't know the answer. I, it may be that, that because the Duke, you know, very often these titles are, I mean, like the Duke of Sussex um, and the Duke of Cambridge. Um, They are old titles that that nobody has, nobody associates with an individual anymore because the titles have been in abeyance for a while. The Duke of Edinburgh, everybody knew him, he was around for a very, very long time, and maybe Charles just felt that it was too soon to pass that name on to somebody else, but I'm afraid I don't have the answer.
0: Charles as a leader for a moment so he has recently had a snafu with the Princess Foundation and Michael Fawcett leaders aren't perfect we know this but how will Charles be as a leader we know he is a workhorse according to Camilla
2: he certainly is a workhorse he he works phenomenally hard I mean I've I've followed him over many years and I've witnessed that myself you know he he goes if he goes on a foreign tour, he won't stop for a cup of coffee. He won't stop for lunch. He will work from the early morning till late in the evening. Um, and he will fit in as many um, meetings and events and, you know, as he possibly can. And he does that on a daily basis. Um, he even writes, you know, as we know, he writes memos on Christmas Eve. I mean, on Christmas day, you know, he he's never stops. He's constantly phoning people and and um, with with new ideas and um, instructions and you know he, and, and trying to bring people together. He's he's so he never stops. Um, I think he because he never stops. He doesn't necessarily look at the fine detail. And what he what infuriates him are um, people who say oh, no, don't think we can do that, sir, you know, ooh, that, that's a bit, a bit tricky. What he likes are people who say, yes, sir, of course, I will see to it. And then he relies upon those people to see to, to it. So I, um, and, and that, I think, is exactly what happened with Michael Fawcett. Michael has been with the prince for decades, and they know one another very well and Michael knows exactly what the prince likes. He knows what he wants and he can interpret everything the prince asks of him. And I think that he then, having you know, put tasks into Michael's hands, the prince then takes his eye off the whole thing and, and it gets done and that's fine and he doesn't ask how it was done. So in terms of leadership, um, I mean, he's a, He's a sort of man to inspire huge loyalty, I would say. Um, so I would say that he is a leader. Um, but I think that he he trips up when he doesn't look at the fine detail. But maybe that's you know maybe that's in common with many leaders.
1: What initiatives will be important to him? We both assume the environment will be a big one.
2: I think the environment definitely will be big. Um, I mean, he he spreads his interest over so many so many different areas, but but um, the environment sort of just about covers everything. Actually, you know, he, he's interested in the built environment. He's in, interested in um, in urban regeneration, in the countryside, in in um, in, in global. Um, conservation, in animal conservation and in the, and, and the sea, I mean, he's, he's uh, and that, I mean, clearly the environment is the, the, the future, the, the, the safety of the planet is, um, rests with how we handle the environment. So, you know, I, I think he, I mean, he will keep an interest in everything that he's shown an interest already, I think. Um, But he won't be so vocal about it.
0: I'm so interested to hear your perspective on this. We recently saw Barbados in their relationship with the Queen as head of state. After her reign ends, can we expect the same from other countries that still have Her Majesty as head of state? I know Australia in particular has mentioned that this might be on the table.
2: I think Australia has been talking about, um, about independence for a very long time. Yes, I think it's perfectly on the cards that there are countries who might choose the moment of of a change of reign to to, to step away. Um, And I think, you know, I I don't think that Charles would take that personally. Um, I think it's a perfectly logical thing to do and, and possibly having realms that are thousands of miles away um makes little sense in this day and age um, but equally i suspect there are others that quite like being um, attached to the british monarchy uh, um, but we shall have to wait and see but i'm sure that those um those that would break away i mean they, they might very well have hung on out of respect to queen elizabeth
1: well, there's no doubt that Charles is overprepared prepared for this role, as you mentioned earlier, but what do you believe his biggest challenge
2: will be as king? I think Charles's biggest challenge will probably be popularity and, and following in the footsteps of, of his mother who has been so universally loved and admired. Charles has been a much more controversial figure. And you know, not surprisingly, because he's had all these years, decades, um, waiting in the wings, whereas the queen never had that. She became queen in her 20s. Um, so he is a much more controversial figure. And if, you're, you, know, if you, you speak your mind um, on any issue, you will divide people. And he has been quite a divisive figure in, in, in Britain. He's also never been forgiven by some people for the failure of his marriage to Diana. So I, and then of course we have, you know, the Netflix series, The Crown, telling his story in a way that I would say is completely dishonest and wrong. Um, but of course, you know it's drama, so so I can't beef about it. But I think that an awful lot of people around the world will view the crown as being historical and factual. So uh, there are, I think there are. Um, he he will have he will have his work cut out to convince people that he is that he is the right man for the, for the crown I mean I absolutely firmly after 40 years of studying this man um, believe that he is I think he will be a great king his mother's
0: legacy as you said casts a long shadow how will he overcome that
2: um it, well I, I think I don't think it'll be difficult to overcome that I mean you know the uh, rain, it, it, the reign comes to an end. It's like changes of, of um, president or prime minister. Um, you know, you get some really, really good ones and then you get a change. But I think the, the people change with the circumstances. And I also think that people, once, you, once they have the title, they, that brings with it um, a, a kind of new authority so I don't think it will be that hard. I think once he has been been um, declared king, and once he has v- taken his vows, I think we will, you know, as a country, as a as a world, he will be be Mark, and he will plough his own furrow, um, probably slightly differently from the Queen. But I not, but I doubt whether it will be revolutionary. So we have
1: one last question for you. What do you think will be the best qualities Charles will bring to this role?
2: I think he has great humanity. And I think that he has a huge understanding. You know, he he may live in a very grand house and he may fly around in helicopters and drive smart cars, but he knows more, I think about how ordinary people live and their problems than, than most politicians. So, and, and I think that he he ha- I think he has great humanity, great empathy, um, and great ideas. He he's a he's a um, what's the word? He's an agent for change. I think. Change, change for the good. He has he has made huge. Um, I mean, the the country, if not the world, I think, should be very grateful to him for so many things that he has done during the decades, so many issues that he has brought to the world's attention that at the time seemed crackpot. You know, um, his his concern for the environment when he was first concerned, nobody thought, everybody thought he was mad. They wrote him off as an eccentric. All the things that he first started banging on about decades and decades ago are now absolutely mainstream. And and without Charles, I don't know whether we would be taking it all quite as seriously as we are.
0: I still can't believe we had Penny Jr. on the show. Like, that's like such a starstruck moment for me. Unbelievable. I know.
1: She was so great to speak to, very kind to do the interview with us. And I really, really enjoyed it.
0: I mean, gosh, what an honor it is to have such an esteemed guest on our show. Um, Thank you for coming on and for sharing your insight, Penny. And now for the rest of the year, we'll celebrate the Queen's Big Milestone. It's Platinum Jubilee time. By the time we have our next episode, it will be 70 years official. So anything else before we wrap up? What a good episode. That's what happens again when we take two weeks off.
1: (laughs) Yep. Uh, No, I, I don't think I have anything else to add
0: well as ever don't forget to follow us on instagram listeners at podcast royal email us if you have anything to say at hello at gmail.com and don't forget to follow rate and review our podcast we love those five stars keep them coming thank you so much for tuning into episode 53 of podcast royal bye bye